It's the person that loved me enough, the first person that shared the gospel with me, and it happens to be my big bro, Ian. And uh, when the, the myth of the cross and household is that I didn't learn to walk till I was about four or five because Ian carried me around on his shoulders. <laughs> he stopped that about two or three years ago, you'll be pleased to. But when I was about... When I was about 25 years of age, just before I was to head overseas, Ian shared with me the hope that he had found in Jesus Christ, and uh, I was too proud and too stubborn to allow that truth to really take hold of my life. But two and a half years later, when I was on the other side of the world, the gospel seeds that Ian had planted took life, and I did gave my life to the Lord And uh, I just want to honour you this morning, Ian, uh, and bless you in Jesus' name. Uh, In the words of the great Chris Christopherson, you helped me learn how to beat the devil. And uh, I'm pleased that he's found himself a good wife. Another line from Chris Christopherson. The message that you're about to hear has been uh, laid on my heart by the Lord for some time now, as I've shared in recent weeks during lockdown. I was camped in Isaiah 61, and the words of Isaiah 61 set a bit of a fire in my heart uh, that said to me, the Lord wants me to share this with Hope Church, because I think it's a word and season for us in terms of all that is going on around us right now. I've shared uh, some of this message in different venues already uh, in a national prayer meeting that I was involved in two weeks ago, Prayers One, which is an online prayer ministry that I commend to you. I shared some of these uh, words and different individuals came back to me from around the country saying that this is indeed a word that we need to hear. Uh, It's In my conviction, it goes along with the way we've been praying for the last 12 months, praying for the Lord's awakening, praying for the awakening of the Dunedin Church. So let's just pause for prayer and ask for the Lord's help. Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, I ask you now that you would anoint both speaker and hearers alike to be shaped by the gospel of grace that you hold out to us in Jesus Christ through your word. We ask, God, that you would humble our proud hearts, that you would strengthen our timid hearts, that you would heal our broken hearts, that we might know Jesus in his name and for his glory, I pray. Turn with me, if you haven't already, to Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Before we jump into what this word Uh, might mean for Hope Church, what it might mean for you uh, this morning, we need to first understand what that word meant for its first hearers, what it meant for Israel all those years ago. Isaiah wrote this prophecy as the superpowers around Israel were threatening the very existence of Israel. Assyria first, then Babylon, and finally Persia, were used as a part of God's judgment and restoration of his people because God's people had diverted from God's plan for them. They had chased after idols. And in many ways, Isaiah has been preparing the ground for uh, this chapter. He's preparing the way for this chapter 61, uh, which is in some respects where 
the whole book had been heading towards. In chapters 40 to 55, he's been describing the servant of God who was going to have to suffer to enact God's kingdom. In the first 11 chapters, Isaiah describes the messianic figure who was anointed by God to bring in the kingdom of God. And now here in chapter 61, with unquestioned authority, the spirit of the sovereign Lord has anointed this same suffering servant to do just that, to bring God's kingdom into the life of Israel. He's announcing good news. By chapter 61, Israel has so compromised themselves to the powers around them that they were overthrown by Babylon. They had been taken captive. Jerusalem was literally in ruins, and we're going to hear more about that in the coming weeks. Uh, They find themselves in exile, and into that context, Isaiah speaks this profound word of hope. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me to announce good news to the poor. Earlier in chapter 11, we encounter the Spirit of God resting on God's chosen agent. And so in chapter 11, we read the following. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Notice the language that is used there, a tree stump. It's been cut down, but a shoot is emerging from the roots of that tree stump. It comes from the line of Jesse, and that branch will bear fruit. The branch is anointed with the sevenfold spirit of God, Isaiah says. The spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, of might, of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord, these will all be at the servant's disposal. In chapter 42, 1, the spirit enables God's servant in the following way. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Notice that the Spirit is going to move the salvation just from Israel. The scope is going to spread to the nations. It's prophesied in chapter 42. It's the same Spirit in chapter 61 who anoints God's servant. The Spirit of Isaiah tells us it is the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord's. Now, it's a distinctive phrase, the sovereign Lord, that Isaiah uses and a couple of the other major prophets, Amos, and in particular, Ezekiel, use that phrase of God, the sovereign Lord, distinctively. Isaiah uses it 18 times in this prophecy. And when he uses that phrase, the sovereign Lord, he wants us to take note. He wants us to take note. Let me draw out three or four or five of the occasions that Isaiah uses this phrasing. It's significant because the New Testament writers again and again pick up on the phrasing. Isaiah 25, 8, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all people. The Lord has spoken. Paul picks up on that imagery in 1 Corinthians 15 and of course John does in Revelation when he talks about wiping away the tears from all their faces. 
Isaiah 28, 16. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Peter uses that language in his second chapter of his first epistle. Isaiah 30, verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation and quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. If you want a memory verse, if you want the word of God to be tucked away in your heart to take you through the tough times that will come, Isaiah 30 verse 15 is a go-to verse in my book anytime. This is what the sovereign Lord says, the Holy One of Israel. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Do you know that strength this morning? The, the strength that comes from quietening your soul and putting your trust in someone greater than yourself, the sovereign Lord. Isaiah goes on to say in chapter 49, verse 22, this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon to the nations. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their hips. Isaiah 50, verse 9, it is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like garments. The moths will eat up eat them up. And of course, Paul picks up on that imagery in Romans 8. And finally, Isaiah 56, 8, the sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them beside those who are already gathered. Jesus himself picks up on that verse in John 17. We say again, when Isaiah uses the phrase, the sovereign Lord's, he's warning us, to take stuck, to take note as to why he's using it. The language of sovereign lords is the language of ultimate authority. The one who has ultimate authority, it's the language of kingship, but it's greater than any earthly king. This language is reserved for the creator of the universe, the Holy One of Israel. This is reserved for Yahweh, the sovereign lords. And his spirit now rests on the coming Messiah. To be anointed means to have authority bestowed on another. When David was made king in 1 Samuel 16, 13, we read, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. The anointing of the Spirit was on David's. And here in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is anointed directly upon God's servant and has given him the following tasks. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to do what? To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, the release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. Now, I think we could quite easily gather these instructions of the anointed one into two main categories. He's been anointed to proclamation and he has been anointed to mission. 
to proclaim, to preach, and to be sent and to act. And the language is unmistakably the language of Jubilee. Now, we're going to come to what that means in a moment, the year of the Lord's favor. The anointed servant has been called to proclaim the good news to the poor, literally proclaim good news to the meek, the humble, the afflicted, the weak. This is less about economic poor. It is more about poverty of hearts And for those of us who have been journeying through the Sermon on the Mount, you will hear the echoes of the very first beatitude when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's picking up on this Isianic language here. These are the people that have come to their end of the end of their resources. They've tried the superpowers. They've tried the protection of Assyria and Babylon. They've tried their own resources They've looked inside themselves and they've seen darkness. They've come to the end of themselves. They are poor. They are poor. And the anointed one has good news for them. The preacher offers you good news. He also announces freedom for captives, release from darkness for the prisoner, literally to open the eyes of the prisoners who are in darkness. He's come to set them free, to open their eyes, to allow them to see the light of the gospel. And then he uses this incredible phrase to pronounce a year of the Lord's favor. A year of the Lord's favor, and significantly, a day of judgment. Isaiah is unmistakably advising that the Messiah will ultimately come to judge all who stand before him. He's also been sent, he's anointed to bind up the brokenhearted, to wrap them up firmly. Now, in my experience, the best way to wrap someone up with a broken heart is to wrap them in two loving arms. Now, we we get that when we're children, but as we grow, we we sometimes lose sight of that. Uh, Ian was sharing with me a little story about an encounter with his granddaughter in recent week, or it was a few years ago, and she was... It was Easter time, and she had brought four precious Easter eggs into their household, and she was going to savor them and look after them, Uh, but they disappeared one night, and the little sister was looking a little bit guilty beside little Maddie, and Maddie was tearful, and granddad said, come and sit beside me, Maddie, come and sit beside me, and he said, you're sad, aren't you, Maddie? Yeah, I'm sad. My Easter eggs are gone. And granddad just put his arm around her and he said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. That's the language that Isaiah is using here to bind up the brokenhearted, to bind up the brokenhearted. To comfort those who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. I said earlier that this chapter is the language of Jubilee, announcing the year of the Lord's favor. What does it mean to announce the year of the Lord's favor? Well, Jubilee is one of the laws of the Torah, but what this chapter describes is not Mosaic law, but a deeper law written into the very fabric of creation itself. Let me explain. In Deuteronomy 15, Moses explains that every seven years is a year for canceling debts and setting slaves free. We read in Deuteronomy 
15 verse 1, at the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have been made to the fellow Israelites. They shall not be required to require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for cancelling debts has been proclaimed. I quite like this option. Imagine if SBS rang me up tomorrow morning and said, Stu, you know that mortgage you've got there? It's been wiped clean. That debt has been cancelled. This is what's behind this Mosaic law. But Leviticus takes it another step. Leviticus 25, we read, The land's been given rest every seven years, and it will be called a Sabbath. But in the seventh times seven years, in the 49th year, on the Day of Atonement, sound the ram's horn. And that's literally what Jubilee means. Sound the ram's horn. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty through the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. So this central concept of the jubilee year is, of course, the return to your own lands, promised by God. Land that's been sold is returned to the original owners. Again, I quite like this idea because I've just sold a property to Mike Lord. I didn't tell him that there's a jubilee clause in it, but I'll advise that to him in due course. But it's the return to your lands, but significantly, more importantly, People that have been sold into slavery are set free. Perhaps haven't fallen into poverty or hard times. Perhaps they've sold themselves in the jubilee year. They are set free. They can go as free men. They return back to their land. They go as free men. This is the background to Isaiah 61 when he announces the year of the Lord's favor. What do they hear? Well, remember, many, if not most, of the Israelites have been in exile in Babylon. Their city of Jerusalem, their holy city, is a city of ruins. They've been grieving, and now Isaiah speaks this word of hope and says, it's time to go back to your lands. You've been in slavery for too long. I'm setting you free. Your sovereign Lord is here, and he's setting you free. It's a jubilee year. And you say to me, well, that's lovely, Stu. That happened 2,008 years ago, 2,800 years ago. What does it mean for me today? And I'm pleased you asked. I'm very pleased you asked. 700 years after Isaiah wrote down this prophecy, a man who was descended from the stump of Jesse stood up in the synagogue of Nazareth and he read these words that Luke records, how he returned to Jubilee. He returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He went to Nazareth synagogue on the Sabbath day. Does any of that language sound familiar? Returning in the power of the Spirit on the Sabbath. Luke is very intentionally invoking the language of Isaiah. And he stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah that was handed to him, unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
Jesus Christ, in the power of the Spirit, on the Sabbath, declares that this prophecy is fulfilled in him. And then he spends the next three years enacting this prophecy, proclaiming the good news to the poor. He is sent to bind up the brokenhearted and to set the captives free. He spends three years doing, enacting and living out this prophecy, fulfilling it. And then at the end of those three years at Calvary on a cross, the anointed suffering servant suffers for us so that all the debts of sin can be canceled and wiped clear. As he's raised from the dead. And he says to us this morning, return home. It's time to return home. You who have been wandering, you whose hearts are broken, you who are blind prisoners, you who are mourning, it's time to return home. It's time to know the Jubilee year in your life. Jesus Christ the Savior of all, who reigns at the right hand of God, now sends his Spirit on his church, and he would say the same thing to you, I have anointed you, and I am now sending you to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Anointed to proclaim and minister in the power of the Spirit. It's worth asking the question, what is it that keeps us captive today. In fact, in our prayer meeting before we started this worship, one of the prayers went exactly there. What is it that's keeping us captive? What is it that's binding us up? What's keeping us prisoners in the darkness? Recently, I was reading a book written by a scholar from 1991 and his name is Charles Taylor. The book is Sources of Self, and in it he has a chapter devoted to the malaise of modernity, and what he's talking about is the sickness of our culture. And he names three things in our culture that you might say are keeping us in bondage, if at the very least they are causing a sickness in our lives. He speaks of individualism, of economic rationalism, and bureaucratic control. The individualism, the journey that our culture has led us down to the point of isolation where our culture says you can define yourself, you just need to be true to yourself and this isolation is inevitably bringing us into captivity. The economic rationalism where the technology that has been so good and bringing us so much is now enslaving us. And what means what it is to be successful is defined by economic efficiency. And then finally, he talks about bureaucratic control. Literally, he talks about government control. And prophetically, 30 years ago, he says, this is not gonna come to us in the form of a tyranny of a Nazi regime. It's not gonna come in the violence of a Soviet Russia no, he says it's going to come in paternal benevolence, in propaganda, in fear, in isolation, in shame. All these things can keep us in bondage. And the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord comes and stands amongst us and says, I have good news for you. I have come 
to set you free. I've come to announce the Jubilee year. Isaiah says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Do you know that strength this morning? Do you know the quietness of soul? The trust to be able to acknowledge that you've come to the end of your place, the end of your strength, and know that there is one, the sovereign Lord of the universe, who loves you with a perfect love and can set you free from all bondage. Isaiah said the following, And that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Father, as we gather in your name at this time, in this point in history, with all the uncertainty that is going around us, in our personal lives, in our corporate life, in the life of the world, you speak a word of hope. You speak a word of grace into our lives. And because of the Lord Jesus Christ who fulfilled this prophecy that we've been looking at this morning, we know that we can return home with confidence, that we can be set free because you have set us free, that our debts can be paid because you have paid the price. Lord, we thank you for this word of hope. And now you invite us to come to return home. I pray, Lord, even now, for those who don't yet know you, that you would minister your saving faith in this place this morning, that you would grant the grace to know the truth of your word, that in repentance and rest is salvation as we turn back to you. Help us to turn back to you now, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you have anointed us now, your body, and you have sent us out to proclaim this good news to a broken, lost, and anxious world. We pray for that anointing of your spirit to rest on us here at Hope Church, but, but not just Hope Church. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be moving across this city, across this nation, that you would embolden us to proclaim this gospel of grace. Lord, that you would give us loving arms to wrap up the brokenhearted, to those who are mourning, that you would give us a boldness to declare the jubilee year that it's time to return home. And we acknowledge that we cannot do this apart from your anointing, the anointing of the sovereign Lord. It's to you that we look. It's to you that we open our hearts, our minds, our very spirit, that we might know your strength in quietness, and trust is your strength. Lord, we quieten our souls, but more than anything, we put our trust in you, the one who fulfills this work. Jesus, in your name and for your glory, we pray. Amen.